Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming into you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston. I have Rahul here from Stamford, Connecticut. And actually, Paolo Dybala is joining us today from Waterville, Maine. No, I'm just kidding, guys. We have Alex back again. Alex, we've heard a lot about you being called Paolo Dybala. What's the story behind that? Yeah, it's, I don't know. It came out of nowhere. Some of my followers said that I... They saw a resemblance. I put up a poll and it was over 50% of people on my account said they could they could see some similarities there. So I'm still not entirely convinced, but I guess uh, maybe I'll put up a little bonus comparison of me versus Dybala when I hit 250K. Yeah, I can see some of the features there. So for those who haven't seen Alex's face, go look up Paolo Dybala and you might get a picture. And then, of course, go look him up when he puts up the final image of himself next to Paolo Dybala and you make a decision. But Raul, you're quiet. How are you, sir? I'm good. I was also actually just looking up Dybala's picture. (laughs) Um, But no, I'm good. I I guess the question goes to Alex's parents. Are they in any way related to the Dybala family? That would be an interesting one to trace his lineage back and figure it out. But all jokes aside, guys, it has been an incredible weekend. And here we are to review Chelsea and Manchester City. And I've been trying to use my joke Tuchel for a long time. Maybe I can squeeze in Threakle if it makes any sense. But we're sitting third in the league, surpassing Leicester. Incredible. Alex? Yeah, that was one heck of a game. And I mean, it was it was a weird one because it certainly did not look like we were taking a win. But Marcus Alonso seems to have a knack for for the occasional late goal. Um, I still remember, actually, the reason I own an Alonso kit uh, from a few years back. I I don't know if it was our opening game uh, against Arsenal. I think it was tied. And I said, whoever scores the winner, I'm going to buy his kit. I, I <laughs> promised myself that Alonzo came up clutch, scored a winner, and and now I have his kit. So it's he's got that in him. And and I was very pleased to see how that how that ended up. Though I guess Callum maybe uh, had a bit of a claim to that as well. That's true. And we'll get into the details in a minute. But what a legendary kit you get to own because Marcos Alonso is definitely going down as one of the best left backs to never become a striker. I've said this many times, but Rahul, why don't you take us through the game? Obviously, Alex has alluded to Alonso getting a late winner. Game finishes 2-1. Maybe give us the starting lineup and run through the first half. Yeah, so there were some changes from uh, Tuchel. Obviously, Mendy played in goal, Espelicueta, Christensen, Rudiger. Uh, Silva was rested for this game. Reese James, Billy Gilmore, second start in the Premier League. Uh, Angolo Conte, Alonso, like we mentioned. Pulisic, Ziyech, and Timo Werner were the starting 11. So a rare appearance there under Tuchel for Billy Gilmore. But Alex, I don't think I've ever picked your mind on Billy Gilmore. What are your thoughts on him? It's interesting. I mean, I think he clearly has talent. Um, there's He never seems to put a foot wrong when he gets thrown in, even in high-pressure situations. And obviously, um, last season, I believe it was, there there was all that hype about him when he sent Fabinho to the shops and and really dominated the Liverpool midfield. So I think there's a reason people rate him. Um, I still think he has a little more development to come, but if he keeps learning from Jorginho, who right now is looking like quite a good role model uh, to be a tempo setting CDM passing ball controlling midfielder. I mean, he's got quite the ceiling. That's quite a comparison there. And Jorginho really hasn't put a foot wrong in the last couple of months here. He's, Definitely leading the way as far as controlling that midfield for Chelsea. But Rahul, why don't you take us through that first half? Yeah, so, I mean, the first half was 
City made a lot of changes too, and a lot of their fans will tell you that the last two times we've beat them, they haven't played their best 11. But City is City, whatever 11 they put out is a strong one. Uh, and so it starts off kind of cagey, you know, each team trying to figure each other out. But around the 11th minute mark, Angolo Conte presses them into a mistake in in their box, actually, close to their goal. Uh, the ball falls to Timo Werner and Sterling comes flying in, catches Timo Werner with his studs full on. And Anthony Taylor doing whatever he does, gives out just a yellow. VAR looks at it and that's that's about it. It's a yellow. Uh, Timo Werner is okay. He gets up, gets back on, uh, actually scores a goal, but is offside, which will be a theme for him throughout the rest of this game. City do end up getting a goal in the 44th minute. 1-0 from Sterling. Christensen misjudges the of the bounce of the ball. Uh, and, you know, Jesus kind of pressures them off the ball. He gets injured in, in doing that. Christensen does. Uh, Jesus continues into the box, squares it to Aguero, whose first touch, I don't know if he was actually trying to set up Sterling, but falls to Sterling and Sterling bangs it in, who actually shouldn't even have been on the pitch. Uh, but that's 1-0. Uh, and unfairly or fairly, we're down a goal, and then we can see the penalty, which really wasn't a penalty. Yeah, definitely. And that penalty, take us through that real quickly, because I want to come back and talk about a few key points in that first half. Yeah, so Billy Gilmore, uh, we've mentioned him, is seen to trip Jesus. I think Jesus leans into him a little more. Uh, anyway, the penalty is given. Aguero steps up, and everyone that knows Aguero loves scoring against Chelsea. For some reason, tries the Penenka penalty against big Eduardo Mendy. Mendy, to his credit, just holds his ground, doesn't decide to dive early, and sees the ball coming and just swats it down like it's a basketball <laughs> and continues going on, and the penalty is saved. So that's yeah, a that good... Was... Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, that, that was... Um, I mean, just that, that casual catch you were mentioning brought brought joy to to me watching that game. I mean, it's it's one thing watching a beautiful, fantastic penalty stop by a keeper maybe Petr Cech style diving in one direction but it was it was beautiful in its own way just casually swatting it out of the air yeah and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that one guys because he actually did make the motion to go one direction but whether he read it or he was able to adjust his body really quickly I think a lot of credit and actually Shaka Hislop on ESPN who is a pretty famous goalkeeper himself said no one talks enough about his mentality and his vision to kind of study what Aguero was trying to do there so Really big pops to to Eduardo. I think he's been brilliant, as as many of our players have been recently. And that was something that kept us in one nail. But I want to roll back to the beginning few incidents here. And as a biased Chelsea fan, I would say that was a red card. I think that when Sterling came in on Werner, it was pretty, pretty aggressive. Now, did he mean it? I don't think he meant it. But that's not what the red card stands for, whether you meant it or not. It, there is quite a bit of aggression that came with that tackle. So, Alex, I'd like to get your thoughts first. Yeah, I mean, I think Werner's maybe a victim of his own quick reflexes there because he got his foot off the ground. Um, and if his foot's planted, I think VAR calls that a, a locked-on red card because uh, that's a seriously damaging tackle if his foot's fully on the ground. But Werner got a little bit of height on his foot, got it just off the turf. Um, he still got clattered, absolutely a yellow card, still probably a red card, but it didn't look quite as bad as it could have looked, I think. Um, and unfortunately, that is sort of how the game works. It's it's right. like we say with with players who we complain about diving, um, but then you see players who try their best to stay on their feet, 
uh, they don't go down, there's a foul and they don't get the penalty called. So it is tough. Um, but a lot in the game does come down to how things look. And, you know, I guess it's good that that decision didn't quite come back to haunt us because I think we have had some of those dodgy calls. Um, I'm recalling Maguire, uh, ending uh Batchwise bloodline and then staying on the pitch to to then score a goal against us later um so i think I, i'm glad it didn't come back to bite us it certainly could have been a lot uh more controversial do you know what i love the fact that you tied it into diving so for example timo werner was honest in his own way picked his foot off the ground got hit hard other players may quote-unquote dive for less and then they get given a penalty or whatever it may not be but rahul does it make sense to review this more than just was it a foul versus I've been hit pretty hard because now you're saying if you don't really go down in a theatrical way or whatever it may be, you may not be given that, you know, foul or penalty or whatever it is in this case. Yeah. I mean, you can see Aguero, uh, I beg your pardon, Sterling's going for the ball, but he ends up getting the ball after he's taken Werner out. So the intention was, was good from him to get the ball, but he's done it in a very harmful way. And, and I know Alex is saying if his foot's planted, uh, it's, you know, it's definitely a red, but it could also lead to a long-term injury if his foot's right. planted and it comes in with the force from Sterling. Uh, so that's my thing. And he, and he brings up Maguire, Alex does. Uh, Anthony Taylor was the referee in that occasion too. So that plus this, plus what he did in the FA Cup final it's beginning to look like he has some kind of agenda against Chelsea. <laughs> he's our bogey ref for sure. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say he has an agenda by any means. I think maybe he's a little bit tough on the calls or whatnot. So it's an interesting one for sure. It's surprising with my opinions on VAR and how much they look at things. How come something wasn't said about them? But I think Alex has a valid point too. Sometimes you don't want to take the hard tackles out of the game either. I'm glad nothing happened to team when he was able to get up and continue playing the game. But he continues with an offside as well. And Raul, I think you said it was going to be the theme of Timo's game. <laughs> Thoughts on his offsides? Uh, I know he likes playing on the on the edge and, you know, being right on the shoulder. But it's like, come on, man. Just just see that line and come onside. Because you've got the pace to make that run anyway. You don't need that extra yard or whatever. Uh, but to his credit, he finishes these chances. So if there's any doubt, VAR can look at them and... Right. And give it either way, but come on, Timo, just stay on site. <laughs> Alex, isn't this an interesting one for Timo Werner in particular? Because he's on numbers, on paper, he actually has performed pretty decently for his first season. And a lot of people are talking about the misses, the offsides, but I'm starting to see a little more excited Timo Werner trying to get in the final third. And I think if he gets that timing right, or maybe he gets a little bit of a better connection with his midfield teammates in that preseason that we've talked about you may see him getting more of these onside. And like Rahul said, the finishes are brilliant. Yeah, it was great to see, honestly, him put the ball in the net, which sounds simple, but, you know, it's something that he's been criticized for in the past, not finishing easy chances. And these weren't even all the very easiest chances. I believe one of them, if I recall correctly, he, he I believe he rounded the keeper to some degree, or, or at least the defenders. Um, yeah. Yeah. He, he had some nice finishes. It's And I know he had that, that, uh, goal where he was significantly offside but it was a really beautiful instinctive just rifle into the top corner so it it does encourage me it's like every time we criticize one part of his game say you criticize his finishing he starts finishing but okay now he's offside and then you start whatever you 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 criticize the 
I mean, honestly, now that I think about it, that's kind of what people have been criticizing for Timo <laughs> Werner this season. But it's it show it just to me it's promising because it feels like when these things fall into place, we've got quite the player on our hands because he's still. I've been seeing these stats all over. I'm not sure I can pull one up really quickly right now, but I think he's, is he our joint top scorer, top assister? Um, He's won, I think, seven penalties for us or something like that. 20 mid, low to mid twenties goal involvements. This is not, I mean, these are not the numbers you expect from a flop uh, as people have been uh, the, the crueler people, uh, rival fans in particular have been describing him online. So for me, this just confirms that he's got he's got what we bought him for. And when all this comes together, the pace, the staying on sides, the finishing, the work rate, the assists, the winning penalties, he's a scary player if he can line that all up. Yeah, definitely. And I'm definitely more than hopeful that he's going to come together maybe next season, but hopefully in that Champions League or FA Cup finals, that would be brilliant to see him put in a goal or two there. But last thing I want to talk about in the first half before we move on to the second half, gentlemen, is the Manchester City goal. I want to talk a little about about um, Christensen. So he misjudges it. He gets injured. Hopefully the injury is not too serious because he's been playing well. But that misjudging, Rahul, you've talked a lot about Christensen more so earlier in the season where he always has maybe a slight mistake or a misjudge or something along those lines where he gives you a little bit of uneasiness. He's been rock solid. In fact, you've called him the Danish Maldini multiple times. That particular incident, is that something to be worried about, especially if he's going to go out injured for a while now and lose that rhythm he has? Or is that something we put behind us and it's a one-off? I, I don't think it's something to be concerned about. I do think it was a tactic employed by Pep to have his two center forwards he played in Aguero and Jesus occupy two of our defenders. And so this wasn't the first time when they, they had you know one of them run through uh, off of one of our center backs. Uh, it just so happened that he was e- Christensen was easily moved off the ball, uh, and Jesus then had a run in on goal. But I think that in a way was good for Tuchel to see because it might be something that is comes up again in the final, right. where you know Pep tries his best to distract some of our defenders with with these runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Christensen's side, I think it was just unfortunate, and he's played a lot of games like you said, but he's been solid. Uh, a hamstring injury, which couple of weeks hopefully and he'll be back and be ready for the games coming up and I don't think it really affects his his rhythm and what he's been doing in the last few weeks yeah I think it's easy when when a player makes one mistake to sort of jump on them but I think I think the again I don't mean to be the stat merchant here but I think it was uh 13 or 13 games Christensen had started for Tuchel and something like one goal conceded um it was ridiculous but um something along those lines he's he's been very very good and I still do remember I think it was him who made the mistake against Barcelona a couple years ago in the Champions League um that led to them getting a goal back and then they beat us in the second leg so I do remember feeling a little worried about Christensen but the more I think about it the more I realize that especially if a player like him is putting in say uh 13 good performances for every performance with a mistake you have to come to a point where, and I mean, this is a point I've made as well with uh, when we originally beat Man City, you have to come to a point where you maybe expect a defensive mistake. You expect to concede a goal off of a misjudgment, um, off of a keeper error, off of just beautiful play from the other team. Um, So if Christensen goes 13 games looking like the Danish Maldini and then one game looking like uh, prime Chelsea Bakayoko, I can take that because 
you know what? They, he's, he's not here to drop an absolute clinic every single time. I'd say 13 out of 14 is, is good for me. So hey, and, and I'm not prime, too worried. Prime Chelsea Bakayoko wasn't bad either. So I'll take that all day. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I was, I, I guess I was more ironically imagining that red card incident, but, but you know, I, I, I don't think we have to be too worried. Yeah, to that point, Alex, I think Christensen does better in a back three. Like you said, again, in the Conte system, uh, that season was his breakout season at Chelsea, and he did very well. And I think uh, we've said this before, and I'm saying it again, Tuchel's done well to play a system that favors a lot of our players that we've got in the squad, and Christensen's one of them. And 13 out of 14, I'm happy with it. Agreed, gentlemen. Raul, why don't you run us through the second half now, because that's where the magic happened. Yes, sir. So... Again, started off kind of cagey, uh, 64th minute, good pressing from Chelsea. Ziyech, Aspie, and Pulisic pressing Rodri into a mistake, uh, which leads to Aspie kind of running down with the ball, gives it to Ziyech, whose first touch is perfect because his second touch drills it right into the bottom corner and brings us back into the game. Aspiliqueta. We call him slow sometimes. He's getting up in age. But my goodness, does that man give his all for the blue shirt. And you could see the energy he brought to keep helping and closing down Rodri. Alex? Yeah, there's nobody, honestly, and I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'll knock on some wood. But there is nobody who deserves to finish off his Chelsea career by lifting the UCL more than Cesar Azpilicueta with... I mean, it's, it's, almost, it's, it's almost poetic, the fact that he comes in right after our our UCL win um I believe it was uh, just following our, right, our 2012 win um and then here he is he's loyal to the clubs bags us trophies um and then finally when we get the chance to get to this this utmost European glory once more um the new generation of talent being ushered in it would be so 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 fitting for him to have that as his send-off um and that would I mean, for me, it would just be beautiful. As Piliqueta, the, the loyal captain, giving his all for Chelsea, completely underrated, tons of games, now the record assister uh, as a defender. It's, it would be beautiful to see him complete that transition from one glory era to perhaps the next glory era. Yeah, lovely, lovely words there. Honestly, if Aspilicueta can lift that, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but that would be brilliant, especially the way you put it down between the two eras, the two captains who bleed blue, you're correct. There's no other man right now that deserves it more than him. But Rahul, take us through the remaining of the first half. Second half, sorry. Yeah, so 79th minute, we score from Timo Werner, but he's offside. <laughs> uh, I think that was the incident where Alex said he did well to round off uh, Ederson. 81st minute, we score, but this time hudson Adore is offside. And it's a lot closer than the Timo Werner one. So VAR is out drawing their lines and measuring angles and doing all that mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, but his knee is offside and it's given offside. But in that buildup, Jackie and Alex, Gilmore is being pressed by three or four City players and he dribbles, dribbles and just dinks it to Pulisic. And Pulisic then just has all the pitch to run up. And I just wanted to point that out, that Gilmore at his young age is able to just move around these uh, known City players and, and do what he does best. Yeah, and that's uh, that also makes me think of Jorginho in some of these recent matches. I know we were highlighting him in the UCL. He had a few brilliant little highlight clips um, of him just turning in tight spaces and get, getting out of serious pressure against top teams. Um, Jorginho was was squeezing his way out of tight corners against Real Madrid, and here you have Billy Gilmore who comes in and does an absolute job 
He's squeezing his way out of a press from another absolutely formidable opponent. So great signs from him. Yeah, I think that's my favorite thing about Billy Gilmore, guys, is that he shows no fear for a guy that's, what, 18, 19 now, coming in and out of the team, playing here and there. But he shows up in his Liverpool games, these Manchester City games, Champions League nights, and he goes like, yeah, I've been playing football forever. What's there to be afraid of? Which is something to marvel at as we go through this young man's career. But Rahul, why don't you take us through the last few minutes here? Yeah, so 88th minute uh, tackle from Zoom on Sterling in our box. A little clumsy, I've got to be honest, from Zuma. Uh, but Anthony Taylor, for once, decides that he's feeling good f- towards Chelsea and doesn't give the penalty. VAR looks at it. Pep's going crazy on the sideline. No penalty, uh, which leads to an 89th-minute chance from Alonso, tipped over by Ederson. But in the 92nd minute, hudson Adoy does well to get the ball, drives into their box. Uh, into their half, I beg your pardon, plays Werner in, who stayed onside this time. Uh, Werner runs in behind the city defense, squares it back into the box towards Hudson-Odoi, but right in the last minute, Alonso flies in and bangs it in and makes it 2-1 to Chelsea. So was it an Alonso goal or was it a Hudson-Odoi goal then? (laughs) Alonso says it's his, Hudson-Odoi says he got a nick on it. So it doesn't matter. Whoever scores, we win the game. As long as it goes in, right? I want to bring up one point before we get deep into some of the details in this second half. I think it was you, Alex, a few weeks ago that said Callum was playing pretty well and then seemed to kind of drop out of favor under Tuchel. But I think something has to be said about Tuchel for this particular situation. It's almost like he keeps some of these guys fresh, but he also keeps them on the verge of being so hungry that when they come in, they really, really perform. In this case, Callum hudson Odoi, as Rahul is going to that second half, he's pretty much involved all the way through in some of these big mo- movements, especially right up until the final goal. And I think you said that was, will we see him, will we not see him? And, and here he comes in clutch. Yeah, it's it's so tough managing players who all just enjoy the game. They want to be out there. And they're all talented enough to be out there. You can't really say, oh, hudson Odoi is not good enough to play in a game like this. He is. He's got the he's got the ability. So does Polisic. So does ZX. So does Werner. So does Havertz. So does Tammy. Tammy could have gotten a run out. It's there's no easy way to do it, but I am impressed with how Tuchel so far has been managing these personalities. The I'm sure taking from uh from PSG, he's got a pretty good idea of how to manage dressing room egos and and keep top players satisfied. So you know, you, you even see you see players like Polisic coming out and 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 saying they're a little frustrated sometimes to be dropped after a great performance. But that's that's the game. It's a critical point in the season. Um, and I'm excited to see how things shape up next season as well, because I think we'll see a little more uh, of a chance given to some of these players, because right here and now there's no real room to doubt the manager. Um, he's been fantastic. And when he puts out a lineup and gets a result like this, Whoever he subs in, whatever he does, it's working. So no complaints. That is a fair point, actually. No complaints for now because we are in two finals and it's going towards the top three in the Premier League now. So fingers crossed, don't want to jinx it. But Rahul, you said a little bit clumsy from Zuma for that tackle. I think I'm going to disagree with you a little bit here. I didn't think it was clumsy. I thought that was a brilliant tackle. We just talked about the Danish Maldini. Maybe you found a French Maldini over here. I, I, they, so there was a second tackle after that first one that... Sh- Probably should have been a penalty. Uh, but there was a second one, I think, that was perfect and clean. And I think uh, credit to Zuma, who didn't let you know that penalty decision get to him and, and scare him into not making those tackles. Uh, but 
I got to be honest, if that was one of our players going down in the box, but with the clumsy tackle, I would be shouting for a penalty. So I've got to, <laughs> got to keep it fair towards the decision. Yeah. I guess that's also though, where you can say, I mean, I, I saw someone uh, online was saying, Oh, that's ridiculous. We should have had a penalty. It was like, yes. Okay. And you should have been on 10 men since the first half. So it right. all balances out. Even right. the Aguero penalty was dodgy and you're, your club legend decided he wanted to try to play games with it. And he could have what he could have equaled the record to be the highest one club scorer uh, in the premier league. I think was that with Wayne Rooney, I believe he was right there. He's um, got to be up there. I mean, he's been there for so long. And I, I, saw, I saw something somewhere. Maybe it's, maybe it's not true that he was that that goal would have put him level. Um, but I don't know. It, it's, you know, I, I think you could, you could go all game dissecting refereeing decisions. And I think we have to accept as much as we're, maybe now we're biased against Anthony Taylor because of some of the performances he's put in with us. It did sort of even out this game. And I think overall the team that deserved it did come away with the win though, yeah, though, you know, we couldn't have complained with the draw. Let's be real. No, I honestly, I would agree with that because guys, if you look at some of the games we've played this season, when we play some of the so-called quote unquote, bigger opposition, we tend to lose a little bit more of the possession. I think against real Madrid, we had dropped down to the forties or thirties and one of the teams that is synonymous with the word possession is Manchester City. I mean, they love to control games. They love to keep 80, 90% of the ball and make you work for it. But in this particular game, we had 52% of the ball, 12 shots compared to their 16, so we weren't off. But five of those on target compared to their four, they made 537 passes and we made 580 passes against what's Manchester's B team. But again, their B team had some quality, quality players in there. And so... No shame in that. I think Tuchel won the tactical balance there. I think he got it right. I know Pep did adjust a few things, but it's going to be interesting. Alex, I know you have some fan discussion points you want to share with us, but before we jump right into that, Rahul, I want a final comment from you on your thoughts on Marcus Alonso. If I'm Ben Chilwell, I'm like, I've been performing well for so many weeks and Alonso comes in and scores a winner. Uh, But that's Marcus Alonso. He knows how to score goals and he's done it. Alex mentioned at the start of the episode uh, a goal against Arsenal. He's now scored against four of the big six. So he knows how to score in the big games and he gets mostly winners, which is good for us. Yeah, always great when your defense chips in with goals. That's what I love to say. So Alex, some fan discussion points you want to share with us? Yeah, so I put out a post just asking if anyone had had final thoughts on the City match, anyone looking ahead to Arsenal, et cetera. Um, Sam BZB said great match a little lucky that Aguero didn't tuck away that penalty but we came back very strong in the second half we got Arsenal next hopefully shouldn't be too tricky but you never know I say 2-0 um, and he said let's get the Champions League trophy back where it belongs so I, I, I like that outlook I agree it was it was certainly a little lucky there that Aguero didn't didn't just bury the penalty because that was fully what I was expecting but I, I mean it it, it came out well in the end and the boys got the job done. So, so I'm not complaining. Um, and we also, let's see if we have any other interesting ones. We've got uh, George Howarth saying it was a fantastic response. And that was something I think Tuchel praised as well. I, I wasn't even as convinced as him that it was like such a brilliant reaction. I guess maybe I'm sitting here expecting them to go out and bang five goals as a reaction to being, being uh, one down at the half, but, I, I do agree. It's it's there's something to be said for mental strength, and that's also something we've seen in the UCL lately. Um, people have been criticizing, say, PSG for uh, when things go against them, they 
seem to just sort of mentally drop off a little bit. So I don't know. Do you guys think think Tuchel has installed this sort of mentality where we're not worried to go go behind? We're not quite Man U yet. We're not second half FC yet. But uh, thoughts on that one? Do, do you know what, Alex? If you ask me this at the maybe the third or fourth game that Tuchel had in his realm, I would say probably not. But in the last month or so, especially with the Champions League games, you can see that we fear nobody, which is the Chelsea of old, the Chelsea that Raul and I fell in love with 20 years ago. That's what we love to see, where we'd show up those Champions League nights, we'd show up to these big games and go, we're Chelsea, we're here, and we can beat anybody. And so definitely credit to Tuchel, I think, mentality-wise. And again, to the young guys, like I talked about Billy Gilmore, Mason Mount, Reese James, they show up with their chest puffed out, ready to beat whoever. I think, Rahul, you had talked about Mason Mount having a cheeky word with one of the players because he doesn't care anymore. He's ready to, you know, stand up for Chelsea. Yeah, that was that was quite something. Rahul, any any thoughts on that? No, I, I agree with uh, what Jackie said. And in fact, I think um, this was, I believe, just the fourth time Chelsea have fallen behind since Tuchel took over, and that was in late January when he came in. So, uh, not only just not losing games or not you know, conceding goals and all that, like you've been saying, and Jackie's been saying the mentality of, uh, even if we go back behind, we're going to come back and, and get a goal or, or get a winner, uh, has been what's been good to see. And I personally didn't expect this kind of response when, to, when, you know, we fired Lampard and then Jackie will tell you that he's got a real ready to go, uh, about me saying I didn't want Tuchel to come in, but you've got to give him credit. He's turned us into, not the ultimate mentality monsters, but we're getting there. Yeah, I don't even, I would say, I don't even want to start labeling us that because it just reminds me too much of, of a, a very uh, arrogant Liverpool fan base drunk on, on their first title in 30 years. So I hesitate to call people mentality monsters. Um, I think the players just have to show up every, every week and put in, put in maximum focus because you don't want to get bogged down in saying, uh, we're better. We've got a great mindset. You don't want to get complacent. These guys go out and they, they prove it again every week, which is what I like. They don't go out there and say, Oh, we're good. We're good enough. They actually go out hungry. Maybe that's something to be said for the young squad too. Yeah. And to that point, Alex, I think that West Brom defeat was a good reminder to everyone in that squad that if you lose your concentration, you drop your levels, you're going to get beat. It doesn't matter who it is. Very true. Very true. Um, I'm wondering, do we want to go go through a quick uh, man of the match uh, choice for us three? Because there is one more good comment here that I think we could have a quick little discussion on, um, but not necessarily pertaining to the game. So, I don't know, uh, Jackie, thoughts on on man of the match for this City game? Yeah, so we've talked a lot about midfielders recently, Jorginho, Kante, Mount. I mean, I, I seem to be picking those three all the time. You're, our forwards are coming together, which is something good. We're scoring more than one goal lately. But I think something that needs to be said is our defense. Lately, we just talk about Cesar Aspilicueta or Marcos Alonso, but one man that doesn't get a lot of credit. In fact, there were a lot of rumors when Tuchel came over that he had things to do with Lampard and all this. Of course, we all understand that never happened, but I'd like to give a big, big, big shout out to Antonio Rudiger. I think not just in this game, which he deserves a lot of credit for, but in the last five or six games, he not only defends extremely well and with his heart, he actually drives forward, which is incredible to see the pace that this man has when he's ready to make a forward run. And for this particular game, Alex, I think you posted this and I was surprised to read this. He has that little mask on to help with a jaw fracture or jaw injury that he has. And so at this point in the season, crunch time, you can see how much all of this means to him. So for me, man of the matches, Antonio Rudiger. 
Rahul, maybe you? Billy Gilmore. <laughs> Good one. I like that. That's all I have to say. <laughs> no argument there. No right. argument there. Alex, you're up. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give this as an overflow. Uh, an overflow of the Real Madrid performance. An overflow man of the match to Mendy for a penalty stop following some world class saves uh, to get us to the UCL final. I think he's been great. I think he's underrated. Um, even I absolutely underrated him at the beginning. I, I certainly to some degree bought into the idea that, well, he's not being forced into many saves. He's keeping great clean sheets, but that's a team achievement. I mean, even when they're not clean sheets, his, if he doesn't save that penalty, I certainly don't think we win that game. We probably lose it, frankly. So, you know, a lot of players stepped up in this performance and I think, I think Mendy deserves some credit. Um, He's been great recently. Yeah, and, and guys, if we do end up winning a couple of trophies this season, we got him for eighteen million only in this day and age. That's going to be a steal. But Alex, go ahead with the next comment you have for us. Yeah, so so the last one I want to discuss, uh, I think uh, Denilson Saldarini. It says um, he actually made the point. He said Polisic's play style uh, seems to be the polar opposite of Tuchel's strategy, and weirdly enough, it makes him more valuable. Christian at points looks like the only player willing to turn and take someone on um, rather than playing a back pass. But when we lose the spark, he's right there to bring it back. He'll only get better from here. And someone else um, echoed similar points. I believe Ethan Bailey, it seems said, said something similar. I'm not sure. If, yeah. Um, the people were mentioning that, that in a way, Polisic seems to, to, to operate slightly differently from the rest of the team. I'm wondering what you guys think about that. So both those comments are actually brilliant because I think sometimes in any team you need, for lack of a better word, enigma, somebody who can come on and just be that different. I, we always compare Pulisic to this guy, but we have to in, in Aiden Hazard. You had a Jose Mourinho who was extremely defensive and Antonio Conte who would play a three or Sari who would play Sari ball, but give the ball to Aiden Hazard and you, you know he's going to do something the way Aiden Hazard wants to do something. And that's what Pulisic does. Of course, he was under Frank and then now under Tuchel. But whenever he gets the ball, it's almost like he looks up and he goes, how quickly can I drive to that 18-yard box and find somebody or get a shot away or do a trick? And it's, to me, that's what's so exciting about him because I'm always on my edge of the seat. And when I'm looking at the games a little bit dull and you'll hear me screaming, give it to Pulisic or bring Pulisic on. We need to see him do something. And to his credit, he never disappoints. Yeah, Rahul, thoughts on that one? Yeah, I agree with Jackie. And to just to add to that, I think he attracts players towards him which opens up space for the other guys like a Ben Chilwell to run in in this system uh, or a Mason Mount and that's what you want from you know your attacking players is if they're not scoring goals or assisting they're making the difference in other ways uh, and Pulisic's been doing that they think it's it's interesting because as soon as it's the last eight weeks of the season Pulisic just turns it on um, and I, I forget who the other oh Greenwood was the other player and they're like who would you have between end of season Greenwood and uh, end of season Pulisic uh, and I would have Pulisic because yes Greenwood has been scoring but Pulisic overall has just been top punch yeah and I think it is something to be said as well I, I'm I'm not even sure he doesn't play the way Tuchel plays I think it's more that we don't have many players who can do what he does um, and Jackie, like you were saying, it's, he keeps, he keeps us Chelsea fans on the edge of our seat. He keeps us men's national team fans on the edge of their seats. It's, it's something that's almost, you almost take it for granted. The fact that a talented attacking player is going to get on the ball, 
um, and try either a dribble, a cutting pass, a nice run, and just drive for the goal. You almost take it for granted until you don't see it, at which point you're you're just moaning at the the television, um, begging for for players to stop back passing. I can think of more than a few Chelsea games that I've been a little frustrated with our lack of forward progress. So I think, I mean, even even more so maybe than not fitting in Tuchel's system, he's he's the perfect weapon to complement a system that maybe prioritizes a slightly more structured buildup um, and not not quite not quite the emphasis on individual brilliance that we've seen, say, Hazard had to carry in the past. But, you know, I don't want to I don't want to put that pressure on him, but I agree it's you want players who can get things done. And I think people also are quick to forget as soon as he's not on the score sheet or assisting, people forget that he that he uh, played the game, played a good performance. Um, and it's it's sort of like Christensen in a way. Um, you can't you can't drop a clinic every single week. Um, but even today, uh, not today, excuse me, against Man City, he had a brilliant touch to set up the equalizer. Um, it was like a nice little Ronaldo chop looking looking turn to put it out wide for Aspilicueta. So, you know, nothing but love for my guy, Christian Pulisic. And I think I think he's going to be huge for us going forward. Yeah, and I think the words you guys have picked really are synonymous with who he is as a player. Raul, you said he attracts people. And when you mean by people, you mean the opposition team to create space for others. And as you said, he complements the team very well. I think based on those two things, when you bring away attackers or defenders from the other team and you complement the rest of the team, you also lift the rest of your players. So if the game's a little bit dull and Christian Pulisic is getting tripped up and creating fouls and creating chances or driving through, he wakes up some of the other guys. Like you'll see Christian Pulisic making those runs. It's like, hey, guys, we probably need to kind of follow along and kind of help them out too because we can do something here. But all right, guys, that really wraps up the information that we have for you today with Manchester City. Like we said, brilliant, brilliant game. But let's talk about a couple of other results that led us to coming third in the Premier League. So first one I want to talk about here, Rahul, I'll start with you because you're smiling away cheekily over there, which is Newcastle versus Leicester. And I didn't get a chance to catch this game. In fact, I was kind of busy with other things and I just get a text message with you in all catalogs, Newcastle game ended four, two, which means Leicester's drop points. We obviously win, like we just talked about it and we're third in the league. So thoughts on this. I was excited. I was over the moon. It was obviously on Friday. Uh, so we didn't know what our game was going to be like, but you knew that as soon as Leicester dropped points, any result for us was going to bring bring us closer to them. And the win obviously put us third, but man, Newcastle, here we were a few weeks saying, oh, they'll be in a relegation battle. It's going to go down to the final day. And they've just turned it on and picked up results where you really didn't expect them to. Uh, so you've got to give them credit and you've got to give Steve Bruce, Bruce credit for what he's done. I think at this point, uh, he deserves to stay there for another season. Maybe Newcastle fans may disagree, but I'll take it. Alex, your thoughts on this result? 4-2 to Newcastle. All I'm going to say, I, I've told you guys I'm going to start cashing in on my my prophecies. I said to my friend months ago now, I told him there is no way Leicester are finishing in the top four. I didn't think they had it in them to close out the season. I just didn't think they had the mental strength or squad depth or a combination of both um, to stay right in the running to the end. I mean, they perform admirably. You, you have to. We all love that little fairy tale uh, title win. That Chelsea played a role in our, our, our boy Eden Hazard played a good role in, but you, you have to admire what they've done on a lower budget than these, these top teams. But 
I, I never, I never felt that they were going to be retaining this place um, through the end of the season. And that's, that's what it's looking like. They're just falling apart right at the final hurdle. Yeah, it sure does look like that, but uh, we still have a couple of games to go. So Chelsea need to stay focused and push themselves as far as they can to definitely get a, a higher and just secure that third spot. But next game I want to talk about is Leeds versus Spurs. It ends up being three, one and Spurs without a Jose Mourinho, which was, we've all talked about, it was kind of a weird timing thing, but any surprises here, Rahul? No, no surprises. Leeds have been good all season. In fact, that win put them ninth in the table. Uh, so for a promoted side and a Bielsa side, that's very good to see. Uh, and in fact, I think I saw a stat and maybe Alex will refer to it. So sorry, Alex, if I'm stealing it. Uh, Leeds haven't lost a game at home to any of the big six sides this season which in itself is very admirable and, and commendable. Yeah. Alex, any thoughts on Leeds or Spurs or it's just one of those you put it to the side and we move on. I mean, I guess it's, you can't read too much into it with all the, the stuff that's been shaken up at Spurs this season and how Leeds can come out one day and be brilliant and come out the other day and get smacked. It's something we've seen all season. And you know, that's, it's the fun of the prem fun of the prem that one. I don't think many people, I mean, I don't even know. You you could have predicted it. You could not have. That's one where you just go out, watch it, enjoy the result, I suppose, if you're not a Spurs fan. Um, and it is what it is. Now Now we're looking even better. <laughs> I love when Alex likes to have a dig at Spurs. It gets me a little bit excited here. <laughs> but Liverpool 2, Southampton nails the next one I want to talk about. And Liverpool back to winning ways. Rahul, I don't think it means much as far as the league goes. They are still struggling to make top four. Maybe they won't make Champions League next season. Yeah, they may not, and that would be that would be big for them because they would end up in the Europa League, uh, which for a club like Liverpool, doing well for the last three seasons isn't where they want to be. But um, I was hoping Southampton would get a result out of this, but they've. I think the biggest story here is how far Southampton have fallen. They currently sit in seventeenth after they were almost, I think, in the run around top four a few months ago. So uh, worrying times for them. Yeah. Alex, thoughts on Southampton specifically? Because they were sitting, I think, second or third very early days in the Premier League. Yeah, they're they're another team that can show up. Um, I think what you have, you have Danny Ings, who's top, top notch, honestly. Um, you have individual talent, but it's it's I think that's where depth really comes into play. And that is you know, we do love the Prem. It's competitive every week. Any given week, a team can beat another team. But over the course of a season, you do see um, just that the squads with with a little uh, more resources, a little more squad depth are able to generally um, come out on top. And I think that's that's where teams like Southampton just do tend to suffer. Um, Liverpool, uh, I think it was Thiago got his first Liverpool goal. Um well done from the man who I was told was going to walk into the Prem as the best midfielder in the world. So uh, no, no, you know, it's got a little ways to go. Um, but yeah, congrats to him. I think, I don't think Liverpool are back by any means, but they needed that result. Yeah, and if that was ever an idea or a thought of why we've always claimed the Premier League is the best league in the world, you're talking about players like him who are really, really wonderful players and definitely world-class, but when they come to the Premier League, it's kind of a wake-up call. Similar to Timo Werner, similar to Kai Havertz, we'll put our hands up and say that. It's, it is a big change. It's a hard league. But the last one I want to talk about here is Aston Villa 1, Manchester United 3. 
and Manchester United continue with their winning ways and sit second in the league. Rahul? They could win the title, you know, if City don't <laughs> win their next couple of games. That could be a title race on. And I think uh, Alex said it earlier, Man United, the second half team, go down one and then always come back and win it in the second half. So not much to say about them. Uh, just one thing, they've got to play Leicester and Liverpool in the next few days. So hopefully they can do us a favor and beat both of them and then we can do our business and be home and dry. True. Yeah, I think um, I think United have, I, I believe this was their 10th, game uh winning from a losing position uh this season so you know you talk about mentality monsters if you want to start throwing terms around i guess uh i've i've seen a lot of fun memes out there about ole's halftime team talks i don't know what he says to them i i i don't know how he motivates them i don't i mean it's it's something it's something but they come out and they get the job done so hey it's it's sort of like uh thomas tuchel when he's getting results you don't complain if, if, if every game's a 3-1 win and you have to go down first, I bet most Man United fans would take that. Yeah, he and probably... Alex, like, sorry, go ahead, Ron. No, I was just going to say, he probably is on the phone with VAR asking for the next <laughs> penalty. <laughs> Do you know what, Alex? That's a good point about Ole because from the outside, maybe we're not seeing exactly what he says. But this week, Edison Cavani came out and st- signed an extension on his contract. And Edison Cavani has been brilliant for Manchester United. And he actually said one of the biggest reasons he's staying with Manchester United is because of the faith and the belief that Solskjaer has shown to him. So there must be something that's going on in the background. Rahul, I know you're shaking your head. You probably think he has a different idea of staying in, in Manchester. But look, things are working out for them and they're going in the right direction. You think they can win the league mathematically? Yes. I don't know if that's going to happen. So I'm going to wait till the last day of the league and we'll go from there. But last thing to talk about, formerly West Brom and Fulham are now relegated. So some big names there that have been in the Premier League in and out in the last few seasons, but Fulham, West Brom, and Sheffield United are formally relegated. So I'll run through the table really, really quickly, guys, and then we'll move on from there. Manchester City in first with 80 points, Manchester United with 70. Rahul thinks mathematically it's not over yet, so we'll see how that plays out. Chelsea in third, the big news of the weekend with 64 points. Leicester dropping to fourth, 63 points. West Ham United with 58 points. So watch this space right here. Liverpool in sixth with 57, and we just covered the bottom three. So it's going to make for an interesting last few weeks here, guys. It definitely will. But Rob, now, yes, another yes. exciting segment. I do. And I'm, I'm hyped about this because Chelsea women's team have won their second trophy of the season. Um, first one in the month of May, which could end with another one next week. And the men's team could end with two more. So a big month for both sides. But focusing on the women, they won 5-0 against Reading and secured their uh, Women's Super League title, which is their second consecutive title, back-to-back champions. What an incredible achievement. Five nails to pinch the title as well. Wow. Congratulations to them. Yeah, it reminded me of, I believe yesterday when they did it, was the anniversary of when Chelsea won the title against Wigan at home by winning 8-0, the men's team. So uh, maybe paying tribute to them a little bit. But hey, taking nothing away from the women. Uh, they, like I said, they were crowned back-to-back champions, and this was their fourth title overall, overtaking run, uh, London rivals Arsenal, who have won three. So uh, the best team in London, and maybe, as someone would say, London is always blue. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sam Kerr finishes with the golden boot, 21 goals in the league, 
Uh, only the second player in the history of the competition to score more than 20 goals. So congratulations to her. Uh, and Berger wins the Golden Glove. So key performances throughout the whole squad, uh, but those two get, you know, the individual awards. Yeah, big congratulations. And like I said, it's always exciting to see Chelsea adding trophies to their cabinet. So hopefully it continues where they get another chance and the men follow up with some trophies and we'll have a full trophy cabinet this year. That would be great to see. I think there's nothing better than seeing, I mean, you can you can say all you want, London is blue, London is blue. If the men are pulling in trophies, the women are pulling in trophies, the academy is still pumping out top talent. We're in a good position. And uh, I think someone said on one of my more recent posts, they I think it was after the Man City game, perhaps, um, just or, or I think it was the City game. They said, oh, it's just an exciting time to be a Chelsea fan. And I couldn't agree more. I think our transition... Um, on the men's team side, our transition has been quite fantastic, or, or at least nowhere near as damaging as some are from, from the glory era core of, of top talent um, into integrating this next generation of stars. And then the women's side you see here are just grinding trophies. Uh, there's, they're not looking like they're going to stop anytime soon. So this London is unquestionably blue uh, at the moment and for the foreseeable future, uh, in my opinion. Absolutely. And, and cheers to the women's team. Rahul? Yeah, and say so I was going to say, speaking of the future, they've got the Champions League final next weekend on the 16th. Uh, so a little bit of history could be made. They could win it for the first time ever. Uh, so they face Barcelona and we'll, we'll be watching. We'll be wishing them the best and hopefully they bring it home. Uh, but Emma Hayes received a personal phone call from Roman Abramovich after securing the title yesterday so i know we've seen some articles and some uh, rumors coming out that tuchel hasn't heard from abramovich yet so i guess tuchel if you're listening you really just have to win a trophy and, and roman will give you a call that's what it takes to get <laughs> uh, get takes. his attention <laughs> it'd be nice to be a fly on a wall for that phone call <laughs> but no again credit beautiful wonderful season and it could get better so like you said rahul we'll stay tuned and watch on from there but now we're moving on to the next segment, which is we're actually pay- playing Arsenal. And we're going to do something a little bit different for this. And the fact that we want to do more of a combined 11. And there was a little bit of joking going on before the podcast started about the combined 11. But Alex, I'll let you get started. I think we should do this a little bit differently where we compare position to position. So we'll stick with because we're familiar with Chelsea with the three at the back. So starting in goalkeeper, are you going for Mendy or are you going for Burnt Leno? Burnt Leno. Uh, that's that's not even a question let's be real um i'm going for the one who's made world-class saves to get us into the ucl final um and who just saved the penalty to get a comeback win to put us to third in the premier league which you could triple and have arsenal's place in the premier league no no hatred towards arsenal they've got some good players but right now i do struggle to see uh these arsenal players getting in ahead of chelsea's in the lineup <laughs> Raul, do i need to call on you for goalkeeper or do we think uh, that's pretty solid first of all i just want to say good evening <laughs> um, that's tough that's <laughs> uh but on the goalkeeper position i, I mendy is a clear choice even caballero a third choice goalie is a clear choice here oof <laughs> tough words why oh, there <laughs> oh boy let's move on before All right, let's before. let's not stir this pot we're gonna move on to the back three Rahul I'll start with you this time give me your preferred back three of you know Chelsea you could you could add in Hector Bellerin you could add in Kieran Tierney Gabriel <laughs> Saka all right 
I'll try to be serious here. As for Laqueta, Hector Bellerin. <laughs> oh my! If if it was a fashion show, I would have gone for Bellerin. But um, <laughs> As for Laqueta, Thiago Silva, and Rudiger. Okay, we cannot be trusted to make combined 11s. Honestly, what, this I'm, is going to turn into an Arsenal bullying segment. But there's no. I mean, come on, right back. You can't be putting Bellerin over <laughs> Reese James. Oh, you guys are too funny. So we've got Aspilicueta, Thiago Silva, and Rudiger. Alex, any changes? Maybe Kieran Tierney and a shout-in in the back three? It's, I I would personally say he's got more of a shout at, at being a left wing back. Okay. I haven't watched him play a ton, um, but I think I think both he and Chilwell are top class. Though Chelsea also have the benefit of depth, I think, uh, as we've seen. I think you were saying before, um, you guys were mentioning that Chilwell has been sitting here not really putting a foot wrong he's been putting in great performances and then you have Marcus Alonso who comes and and pulls off a prime Antonio Conte type comeback so I I think Chelsea have the better depth but Arsenal do have quality at that position so if we were being unbiased we could perhaps concede and 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 get Tierney in there okay so we've put Tierney at left wing back Rahul right wing back for you Reese James I mean come on so Reese James slots in there, and the middle two. Alex thoughts on the middle two. I I'm not trying to be biased here, but I, I don't see how any Arsenal players get in ahead of the Chelsea middle two. Yeah, I think I think you could you could say that if you take their their very prime levels, you could say, oh well, maybe there's a case for say a Partey to be in over Jorginho if Partey's at the absolute top of his game. But frankly, this season Jorginho has been borderline hot take borderline world-class he's outclassed I mean what does it take to be considered borderline world-class you 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 know you you shine against some of the best midfields in the world um I think I think that's that's where we are and there's really no case to be made um at this point in the season um they've they've got some talent there too but Arsenal need a squad refresh so you're gonna go with Jorginho and who to partner him um if he's fit you'd go Kovacic are are we allowing a an instant healing item to be applied to the style? Um, if, if you want for this segment, I'll allow it. I mean, Angolo Conte. Realistically, okay. There's nobody who can nobody can chat to him at that position right now. Rahul, any disagreements on that four? No disagreements, but I know Arsenal fans may want to get Jaka in there, especially after that free kick he scored uh, against us in that first fixture. But on current form, Jorginho and Conte have to be in there. Fair enough. Okay, so the final three in the front. Gentlemen, what do you guys think? Alex? Um, so this is, I guess, where it gets a little interesting. I know we've, if it depends maybe if you're going on current form, if you're going on, on top potential. Um, obviously, Arsenal have, have some decent weapons up top in, in Aubameyang when he's, when he's flowing. Um, Lacazette has a goal in him. And Saka has been very, very good um, playing in an attacking role for them. Right. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, on current form, Timo Werner is, call them tap-ins, but he's getting goals and he's getting assists and he's contributing to Chelsea. I wouldn't start personally um, a, any Arsenal player over Timo. And then if there's a player who starts over Timo, it's Kai Havertz for me. Um then if there's a player who starts over Kai Havertz, it's probably Tammy Abraham. So I, I'm I'm horrendously biased for this for this project, but I would have to go with a front three of Pulisic, 
Werner slash Havertz, up to you guys. And then it's just down to whether I want to be – God, we haven't even put Mason Mount in the line. I was, go- I was actually going to ask, how does Mason Mount not There's make no, this There's no – I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I appreciate – I do appreciate that Sokka's a good player. Yeah. I completely appreciate it. He's got talent. I've watched him a little bit. Everything I've seen has been positive. You don't get in ahead of Mason Mount this season. Agreed. Rahul? Yeah, I was going to say, if Mason Mount doesn't make this team, then we've got a problem. Uh, yeah, we've got a major problem. So Mason Mount, Pulisic, and if I guess we're throwing Arsenal a bone or something, we could put Aubameyang or Lacazette in there, but I'd rather have Tammy Abraham before we put those two. <laughs> yes, I think I agree with both of you guys on Pulisic and Mason Mount. Maybe we can have Lacazette come in there to get a good mix of you know Arsenal and Chelsea because we're a little bit heavy there. So Final combined 11, guys. Mendy in goal, Aspilicueta, Silva, and Rudiger. So the back four defensively is all Chelsea, which rightly so. They've got so many clean sheets this season. And the four in the middle will be Reese James at right wing back, the Georgie Kante midfield with Kieran Tierney making left wing back. Mason Mount, Pulisic, and the spearhead of this attack is Lacazette. So shaping up to be quite a good starting 11 here, but it's going to be even more fiery when we play them. Raul, any information you can share with us before we move on? Yeah, so Chelsea are unbeaten at Sanford Bridge against Arsenal last eight games. Uh, the last time we lost to them was in 2011 under AVB, uh, the same season we went to win the Champions League final. So I guess if we're keeping things uh, nor uh, similar to that season, we have to lose this game. But uh, I don't think we will, but... We'll see what happens. Um, Arsenal won the last game, like I said, at 3-1, and that was a very disheartening defeat for us. I almost quit this podcast. Uh, but since then, we've seen the change in fortunes in both clubs, and Arsenal sit in ninth or 10th right now, Chelsea obviously in third. So it should be a good game. The last time we played them midweek at the bridge, we tied 2-2. Uh, Arsenal fans celebrated that Martinelli goal that Conte slipped up for like years and that's probably what they're holding on to for now um but it should be a good game and Arsenal really have nothing to play for this is probably one of their last big games and I'm sure they want to put out a decent showing uh and for Chelsea this is the final game at the bridge without fans because starting next week fans will be back and how excited we are to actually see fans back in the stadiums but I want to put you guys on the spot before we have one final segment. Rahul, you'll bring us into that fan question, but can I get a predicted scoreline, Alex? Um, I think I'd have to... Seeing how we played against City, I'm honestly backing us for a better performance. I think against a Man City-type team, they can claim rotation as much as they want. They're top class, top manager. I think we got the mistakes out of our system, a little bit of the timidness out of our system. I could see us coming out and playing a very good game and, and getting a 3-0 win, maybe 3-1. I saw one person, I believe, predicted a 3-1 uh, in my comments. I think it is difficult, though, because you, we've we've seen that West Brom can batter Chelsea if Chelsea don't show up. Let's be real. As much as we can make fun of, of, of the Arsenal lineup all we want in, in our starting, uh, our combined 11, it's – they're – they're top players. They're professionals. They, they do this for a living. They're infinitely better than you and I. So these guys could show up and put in a shift against Chelsea. We've seen that. We've seen a poor form Arsenal still take out a good form Chelsea. And that's why I'm, I'm almost a little, a little nervous for this match. 
even even in a way more so than Man City, because it seems like Man City, you know, they had they 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 knew what they were fighting for. Arsenal are almost like a, you know, they're a loose cannon. Actually, that was unintended pun. They're a loose cannon. Um, so, you know, you don't exactly know how they're going to show up. If they're going to show up, I I could see it being cagey, to be honest. Yeah, for me, Arsenal seemed like a misfiring cannon and not trying to hit too much on Arsenal here. But I agree with you. I think a 3-1 to Chelsea seems reasonable. I would love a clean sheet, but they do have some top quality forwards. We've talked about Lacazette, Aubameyang when he's firing. So 3-1 for me. Rahul? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I was joking and stuff, but Arsenal, like Alex said, have good players. Willian, obviously coming back for the first time. I don't know if David Luiz is fit, but those two obviously want to make some kind of impression and let Chelsea know that they you know they shouldn't have let them go. So I think it ends a 1-1, uh, which in in the bigger picture isn't a bad result for us. Uh, gives us an opportunity to rest some players ahead of the final on the weekend. Uh, so 1-1 for me. Sounds good. So do you want to take us through our last segment now, Rahul? Yes. Yeah, so I had a fan question that came in. Uh, as you may already know, and the listeners may know, Bruno Fernandez scored yesterday, scored a penalty. Uh, so he's at 27 goals for the season. Harry Kane, who's leading uh, the race for the Golden Boot in the Premier League. And Romelu Lukaku, who formerly of the Premier League, now plays in Serie A for Inter, just won the title with Inter. And I believe is top goal scorer there. So they're all performing at the highest level and playing for the biggest teams in the world. But some fans don't consider them world-class. So the question is, why is that? Is it Ronaldo and Messi have just risen our standards so high that if you don't score 60, 70 goals a season and don't win the Champions League, you're just not considered good enough? So, Jackie, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, there's a variety of reasons, Rahul and Alex here. And I, and I think the first one you did hit the nail on the head is, is they're in the same era as a Messi and, and a Ronaldo, which as much as we don't want to talk about them, they need to be mentioned in this in this picture because they're the kind of guys that are getting your 50s and 60 goals a season. In fact, I was looking it up as you were asking this question. Romelu Lukaku, Bruno Fernandes, brilliant. But for Cristiano Ronaldo, his best season goal-scoring-wise with Manchester United was in 2007-2008 where he scored 42 goals. Playing in the Premier League, of course, some of these were in the Champions League, he scored 31 goals as a winger too, right? Wasn't as he? a left winger. So you talk about world-class and we start to look at stats first. And of course, the other things that we need to bring into this, but when you talk about a young Ronaldo scoring 31 goals in the Premier League and 42 overall, it's very, very difficult for anybody to fill those boots. And believe me, and both of you guys know, Alex Ferguson tried for years with many failed experiments, pulling on the number seven shirt. So that's really the first thing. But Alex, why don't you chime in for a few minutes here? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's at a point and you see you see the fanboys of these these two great players talking about um, both both contesting that their favorite goat, so to speak, is from a different planet. And I think that's almost the the mindset that we need to try to adopt is you have world class and then you have universe class, planetary class, alien class, because Messi and Ronaldo have, as you said, Rahul, they've just set the bar to a, a crazy point. And I think that's why. When you look at a Lukaku type, I mean, people tend to think, I, I think I think maybe we are the, a victim of the Ronaldo-Messi uh, era because people take world-class to mean consistently world-class across, say, five seasons, maybe. I mean, people expect to see 
great output across a number of seasons. And I think that's where you say, okay, well, Lewandowski, for example, uh, often has, has, he's been quite consistently good. And I think most people would agree. He is an undeniably world-class striker. Um, but then you, you have a Lukaku type who's on current form. I mean, maybe, maybe I'll get slandered for this, but if you put a Lukaku uh, prime current Lukaku and prime current uh, Lewandowski in, in, in the same exact team, I don't think you're losing much by putting Lukaku in there. They're both absolutely fantastic. And Lukaku's improved some of the areas of the game, like link up first touch that he was, he was getting criticized for before. So it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's so difficult because some of these fantastic players of our generation have made people think that you need five straight seasons of 30 plus goals a season to say, be a top attacker, or you need to be at the absolute top of your game for five years as a defender to then start being considered world-class alongside the likes of who knows Ramos, that type of uh, uh, caliber. It's, it's difficult, but you know, I think, we, we are lucky to be in this messy Ronaldo era as much as it is maybe skewing our, our appreciation for other players. And I'll pull Messi and Ronaldo out of this for a second to just get into the meat and potatoes of some other reasons that could bring why we don't necessarily consider world-class. And, and by the way, I consider them world-class. I think you're talking about overall as a big picture. One of the things we need to talk about, you're talking about Bruno Fernandes, Harry Kane, and Romelu Lukaku until recently haven't really won much. So you're talking about individually, yes, you can score 26 goals. Or Harry Kane, I think this season's at 31 goals for the entire season, which is in itself is pretty incredible, 21 in the Premier League. But you're not backing that up with trophies. So that's a big thing. Lukaku just won a trophy, which is incredible, great for him. When he did win Manchester United, they were winning Europa League. No disrespect to Europa League. We've won it before and love it. But you're not at the upper echelon. So you're talking about the last World Cup player who won the Ballon d'Or was Robert Lewandowski. They won their league. They won the Champions League. He's scoring for international level. I mean, it comes hand in hand with many different things. So you loop it back to some of the players of old that have won the Ballon d'Or and the world's greats. Their teams don't let them down. And that's the next point I want to bring up is Manchester United historically, so we're talking about Bruno Fernandes for a minute, has been this team that's considered the upper echelons. And now, with all due respect to them, have kind of fallen out of the upper echelons for a little bit. I think if you put Bruno Fernandes in a Manchester City maybe you would see him get more of those accolades. Same thing with Lukaku. When he came to Manchester United and Inter, Inter is now coming back up to the forefront. And Harry Kane, I feel bad for him with Tottenham Hotspur. They're just, they're the club which are always trying to be at the upper echelon, but they always seem to be left out. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And I, I, that's a lot of good points, in fact, uh, because we, like I said, we started with the Ronaldo and Messi era, but if we take them out, and I personally also do consider these three players or four players we're talking about world-class. I know we make fun of Bruno Fernandes, but what he's about to achieve in just his first full season in the Premier League is pretty remarkable, and you've got to give him credit. Uh, he's about to take over Lampard for the most goals by a midfielder in the Premier League, and that was... Number 10 Lampard. versus 8, I will add, but go what, on. What's that? Number Should 10 I... versus number 8. <laughs> but you go but yeah, it's, he's about to overtake a record that almost stood for, actually stood for 10 years. Lampard did it in 2010. It's now 2021. And he's just joined the league. But like you were saying, Jackie, until these guys, in the case of Kane and Bruno Fernandes, don't win the Premier League, don't win the Champions League, 
I think for some fans, they're always going to be, well, Bruno Fernandez just scores a penalty or, or, you know, they only focus on what the stats are and don't see some of the other things that these guys bring to the team. Like Bruno Fernandez. Yes. Alex has said number 10, but sometimes he drops down to playing a number eight or being next to the defensive midfielder and influencing the game from there where he may not get the assist, but he's been been in the buildup to the goal or, or whatever the move was. Same similar we, we saw with Kane. He's assisted so much this season, but he's going to end the season with absolutely no trophy. Right. Uh, so, yeah, that I think that's where some of these guys get hit, where comparing them to Ronaldo and Messi isn't fair. But also those two players played at the best clubs with the best players winning the best titles season after season. Yeah, and, you know, this has brought up something, and this is a great question, so thank you to the fan. But it br- brings a lot of things that we can talk about here. And if you haven't seen the All or Nothing documentary with Tottenham Hotspur, I'm going to quote Jose Mourinho for just a quick second here. And he said, I'm the type of coach that has a profile. And my profile can help you, in this case, he was referring to Harry Kane, to reach the next level. And what he meant by that, rightly or wrongly, on a tactical level, sure. But you talk about the world-class players that have come before. There's an air of marketing that goes around some of these guys to help them come into the forefront of the media and the way they're promoted. And that is a really, really big thing in today's generation of people that watch football and support football. We look at a lot of football, not only on televisions or on our laptops, we actually consume media through Instagram, through Facebook, through Twitter. And if you have a good marketing team pushing you, putting pictures of you, getting you signed jerseys, advertisements, I think that always puts you in the forefront. So you can be a Lewandowski who's scoring 30 goals a season, or Harry Kane who's scoring 30 goals a season. But Lewandowski may sign deals with Pepsi, with Nike, with Adidas, and maybe Kane's team don't push him as hard. And so he always comes into the forefront of everything and then becomes so-and-so the world-class versus a Kane. Yeah, I was even just seeing today, one last point on that, there was uh, Jaden Sancho. I know there's been debates about him. He was the absolute hot topic uh, just a, a season or two ago, and then now it seems like that has cooled off a little bit, but this is his third consecutive season hitting 30 goals and assists. Um, it's it, it does interest me because you guys are bringing up the point of, of players being measured as world-class based on team achievements, um, and it's it's a difficult one because you see, I mean, most people would say, for example, that a Raheem Sterling is above a Jaden Sancho um, just by sheer trophies won or being in, in the current Manchester city squad. I don't know, maybe, maybe that's not true, but, but I feel like you take a player that talented who's, who's now gone super young and he's now gone three years bagging 30 goal involvements uh, in Germany. I think if you put a man of his talent, on the Manchester city left wing, he, he becomes world-class within a season or two in the eyes of the, the football fans around the globe. I think it is, it is a lot about the players you're playing with. Um, and, and only the very best. This is, I'm always a Lampard over Gerard type person, but that is something to, to the credit. It takes a very good player to stand out when you don't have quite the supporting cast around you. Um, and that's something I know Gerard uh, backers do say is that a player like him did not quite have the support, say, that Lampard did with that that core around him. And it takes a very, very good player to shine, even when you don't have top, top tier talent around you. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point, Alex. And I think just to wrap it up, 
eventually when players play in the Premier League and don't perform for a few weeks, a few games, I think us fans and, and certain type of fans, maybe not us, are very quick to just write them off. Like we've seen with Timo Werner this season. We've said it on this podcast so many times that he's been involved with assists. He's been involved with goals. But there's still people out there that will say he's a flop. You know, that's it. He, he didn't perform in his first season. That's it for him. But you've got to give these guys some time for them to settle in and do their thing and improve themselves in, in, a, in a league such as the Premier League. Like you said, if Sancho comes in, he may not get 30 gold involvements in the Premier League. Uh, but he's still a very good player. And I think people would write him off as soon as that doesn't happen. So uh, people have got to set their expectations and realize that at the end of the day, these guys are still human beings. And what they're doing uh, requires a lot of skill and, and patience and ability. And they will get to their potential if we just give them the time. So I, that was a great discussion, guys. Thank you. Uh, and thanks to the fan for sending it in. Um, please Send us more of your questions. And uh, Alex, thanks for putting up that post earlier about the game and getting more uh, fan interaction. Uh, but that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels, available on all podcast providers. And Alex's account is at FC 22 He's closing in on 250,000 followers. So please follow him if you don't already. Uh, and as always, send us your feedback and we will be back later this week to do an Arsenal review and an FA Cup final preview. But until then, stay safe and up the Chelsea.